This is episode 145 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 145 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have one heck of an interesting guest. I have myself. Uh, All jokes aside, yeah, I'm just doing a monologue follow-up episode because I've been getting a lot of inquiries of people asking what I've been up to, uh, wanting me to expand on what I've been doing in Florida, wanting me to kind of share the different stuff I'm into. And I know I've been relatively quiet uh, about that, uh, minus what I've talked about on the podcast with other guests. So Today will be a special episode where I just kind of go into the details, maybe more details than you even want. But if that's something you're interested in, I'll talk through the process, what I did to get into Florida, what it looked like, uh, and try and give you as many actionables as I can. And uh, maybe you can take something from that and, and potentially implement it yourself. Um, of course, using your own experts and you know consulting your own lawyers, accountants, etc. So uh, I do want to just stress that nothing I'm saying here is advice and should not in any way be construed as advice. Please take it for what it is. It's just me sharing my story. So this isn't something I'm used to doing a lot of. Obviously, I mostly just do interviews, so a dialogue. But we're doing the doing the monologue today here. So uh, I do have some notes, and I'll go through those. Uh, but like I said, I'm going to go through what I've been doing in Florida. With the new construction, uh, new builds from buying the lots, setting up the corporate structure before that, the uh, visa process and what that's looked like, and you know what I'm doing right now, where I'm about to actually sign the contract with the GC that's going to build the first house and uh, and how that's going to work. So share some of that stuff, and I might even post some of the uh, the photos just on the video overlay for our YouTube viewers. Now for uh, the next follow up, I know I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast, but I've just firmed up on a trailer park with a few few uh, partner investors. So I'll go into what we're doing there, um, what the idea is and why, why that's appealing to me. And uh, I'm going to give some of my overall thoughts on what's happening in the economy right now, politically, and uh, my take on it. Uh, most people who follow me on Instagram know I'm fairly no BS about this kind of stuff. And uh, I do try and soften it. I'm not looking to, uh, you know, to go too strong on my opinions here, but just share some of my observations and pose some interesting or thought provoking questions that, uh, that I think we all need to be asking. Finally, I'm going to go over just contacting me. A lot's changed since episode one. This is episode 145. Uh, back around the time of, you know, the first 10 episodes, I could easily respond to the people that were reaching out to me. Um, things have, things have certainly changed. So I'm going to touch on if you want to get in touch to me with me, what the best way to do that is and how to do that, um, was probably the more important part because of the number of contacts I get, um, just to be able to, efficiently respond uh, when inquiries are made and uh, not to miss uh, good opportunities to speak with people because I do want to speak and connect with investors. Uh, So with that being said, what's happened in this journey? um, Really refined the website, uh, the way I post videos, the artwork certainly improved since episode one. I've shared my cash flow spreadsheet so you can get that through my website. You can just enter your information. It'll be emailed to you. Uh, if you haven't already done that, I highly suggest you do because that's the cash flow spreadsheet I will go through when I'm asking people questions on the show. So highly recommend that you go get that. If you're new to the podcast and you're just kind of getting into real estate investing, go right back to episode one. Really those first 20 episodes are foundational. And then after that, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like pick and choose what, what you want. I mean, if it were me and I were getting started, I'd listen to every single one all the way through. And I know many people who have done that. So um, highly valuable if you want to do that. Um, some people pick and choose and some people listen to every single one. I think that listening to every single one is definitely a value uh, because we've had a lot of good, good guests on this show. I'm not tooting my own horn here. 
it's it's really who we've brought on the show. So as always, I just want to invite you to please like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell if you haven't already done so. Leave a comment below. Uh, let me know what you're wondering about. What kind of topics are you wondering about so that I can focus my attention on commenting on those in future episodes. And then if you wouldn't mind as an audio listener, rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts so that the algorithm picks it up and recommends it to more people. Hopefully we can reach them and uh, help more people create financial freedom in their lives. So without further ado, here is episode 145 with yours truly. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast with yours truly, Andrew Hines, being interviewed by Andrew Hines. And I will quit with the dad jokes soon, but... uh, It's a tough one because I've been telling dad jokes since I was in my teens. So anyways, what have I been up to? So this episode is all about getting caught up, learning what I've been up to uh, for all the people who have asked and are curious. Uh, I'm going to start off by talking about Florida. What am I, you know, how did that start? What have I done? How have I structured it? And what am I expecting? So first off, for those who don't know, back in January 2021, I went down to Florida, uh, took the uh, helicopter across the border, had my car shipped to the other side, and my wife and I drove down. We spent three and a half months in the U.S., uh, primarily in Naples, Florida, which is about an a 45 minute to 55 minute drive to Cape Coral, Florida, which is just northwest of there. Um, so I went to a bunch of RIA meetings. I spent like the first month trying to figure out where do I find investors? My first strategy was just like, where do I go find investors? And I ended up, um, finding a RIA, which is a real estate investment, um, association out of Cape Coral and Fort Myers, which is, like I said, just northwest of where I was staying. And, um, I started going to their events twice a week. And while everything was in lockdown back here at home, you know, people are shaking hands and, you know, networking, you know, sitting at tables like it was 2019. Um, so it was uh, really refreshing to get back into that network networking scene. Uh, but I discovered the challenge that most of us would discover here at home is that people who were flipping properties down there, it seemed like you had to have an in, you had to have a way of getting those properties off market or, you know, kind of getting out, out of those bidding wars. Um, I didn't really feel like I'd have an inside edge to that. So I went to a few meetings until I found a guy that was doing new construction builds in Cape Coral. And, um, I heard him speak and it was like, as soon as he got off stage, um, I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to partner with this guy and, and do a deal. And, um, that was where it started. Met him on a site, kind of went through the process. And my main goal with this was I want to get in touch with the builder he's working with. Uh, they seemed reputable. And, um, just, just the fact that this guy was so well established with them, I'm like, uh, they're not, they're probably not going to want to take me on as a client, not knowing me from Adam. But if I do get in with, uh, with this investor and I partner with him, now all of a sudden I've got a foot in the door and I can do more deals. So it's not that I needed to partner. It's that partnering as the money partner here and kind of just letting him show me the, the lay of the land. Um, I found beneficial. It's kind of like paying for coaching is how I see it. And uh, I went ahead with it. So um, right now I'm at the point where I've got five lots um, already closed. I have surveys on three of them. And, um, I've prepaid that. I just, even before I had a contract, I just sent the building company the money for the surveys. I said, go ahead and do this in anticipation that we are going to do a deal together. So, um, have those ready to go for the very first lot. I've been sending the money down so that I have the money to cover the contract. So the contract, as it was presented to me was for uh, 300 and about $65,000 us. And I bought the lot for 23,000. And the current comps seem to be right around 500,000, even 499. That, that's kind of where we're at. Um, 
and a lot could change because we're looking at a two-month permitting process plus seven months to build. So I'm really nine months out from when this sells um, with the way that the dollar is devaluing right now and the way that uh, Florida is hot. Like Florida is like politically one of the most attractive states to be in right now. It's growing at an astronomical rate. I think that that the prospects of this going up in value even more are quite good. So I'm not in any hurry to pre-sell this. My my goal would be to wait till the end and maximize the value. Um, so what I'm looking to do right now, I am funding the first one in cash, and I'll get to why in just a moment. But the uh, the goal would be to build multiple at the same time. Um, so while I am going to be building the first one in cash, I would be uh, I am currently looking for ways of financing and funding that that second one, third one uh, to just get multiple irons in the fire. And as, as I mentioned before, the profitability seems to be around a hundred thousand on them. So uh, th- that's good. It's it's not uh, amazing. Uh, the best way for me to really scale that or, or improve that is I find I personally feel is to just go ahead and to increase the amount I'm doing at once um, so that I can really start to see the uh, the fruits of my labor, so to speak. And uh, in that process, the idea would be as I sell them, I'll just acquire another lot. So I sell one, buy another one, sell one, buy another one. Um, and of course, the lot values are going up too, but uh, I've got a good little bank of, of lots to, to work with as of right now. So I uh, want to get into the structure. When I was down there in Florida, we were talking and my wife and I were like, well, it certainly would be great to be able to stay here. Um, however, in order to stay, you have to have a visa or um, some sort of citizenship, green card, what have you. So what I uh, ended up doing is asking around and through the RIA, I found an immigration lawyer who I spoke with and he suggested an E2 visa. Now, I did end up speaking with like four different immigration lawyers. I liked him the best, decided to uh, to work with him, gave him a retainer, and we started talking through what I was going to do. Um, the structure that we came up with is I was to buy all the properties in an LP, a limited partnership, and then I would own an LLC, which was actually incorporated first. And the LLC is basically the liability partner for the LP. So it's, if that sounds confusing, feel free to disregard. Obviously, it's best to talk with your own accountant if you're thinking about setting it up. But once you do get the advice from your accountant as to what to do, you can, uh, you can actually do it right through sunbiz.org. That's how I did it. Um, I paid a thousand bucks for the LP and I paid, uh, I think $125 for the LLC. And, uh, that was kind of the setup costs. Plus I, you know, I spoke with my accountant for about a, you know, an hour or two, uh, over a couple of phone calls and emails. And uh, I haven't got the bill for that yet, but that would be part of my, uh, my setup costs. Now, once that was all set up, I am just still using a personal account through RBC US. So you can basically call them. They're operated out of Georgia and you can set up a bank account. Uh, they can do north to south, south to north, uh, transfers if you have an RBC Canada account. So I've set that up. I had that set up from many years ago when I invested in Ohio, just kept going with it. Now for sending money, I actually use something called TransferWise or now they call it wise.com. Um, I, I challenge anybody, by all means, I've heard of, uh, there's a gambit method of transferring currency. I forget what it's exactly called, but I challenge anybody, if you find better rates than this site offers, let me know because I'm always interested in best practices. So um, check it out, see what the fees are like. And if you know better ones, let me know because I'm, I'm always curious. Um, as far as uh, I wanted to just touch on RIAs and referrals. Um, RIAs are absolutely what, what I recommend regardless of where you're investing. Um, 
don't just go in blind. That's what I did when I went into Ohio. And if you've listened to my early episodes, you know how that went for me. I'm not going to reiterate that here. Uh, but if you don't have people that are referred from a quality community, that's big for me. Like Aria, where you know the guy I'm partnering with has been established for 10 years and they've known him for that long. Uh, you can't stick around in a community if you're doing things that are not forthcoming, if you're doing things that are shady, that's not going to work out well for you. So that's what I, I really try to read between the lines when I'm uh, you know, evaluating these opportunities. Again, that's not advice. That's just my take. Of course, there's always an element of risk in anything you do. Um, in terms of using a GC, that is my limiting exposure uh, methodology these days. Um, I do other things too. Um, so with this one, I'm sending the money down and I'm actually going to have it held in an escrow account in, um, in Florida. And that escrow account will belong, uh, belongs to the title agency that is actually closing the deals for me. So they've actually closed all these lots. So you don't use lawyers necessarily in Florida. You can actually use a title agent. And uh, so they closed a lot. They have an escrow uh, trust account. And uh, so I'm just going to have them hold the funds. And as the builder says that they've you know reached stage one, two, three and request their draws, they'll just release the money directly. Um, and I have a reason for that. That's actually to do with immigration uh, because they want me building in cash and they want to see that I've put the money down there. So my immigration lawyer suggested to me that that would be the way to go. So without getting too deep into that, I just wanted to share why. Um, so now on the visa requirement, as I mentioned, E2 visa is what was suggested to me. That might not be what's best for you if you're looking to get a visa, get an immigration visa for the U.S., which just basically means you can stay there for, I think it's up to five years typically. Uh, sometimes they're shorter, they're like two years. Um, but it basically gives you an opportunity to get a social security number and build credit in the States and kind of borrow um, like a citizen would versus borrow, borrowing as what they would call a foreign national. Uh, and that's when you're not a U.S. citizen in, and you're in the U.S. And you can still do that. You can still borrow down there. You don't need to be a citizen, but typically you're not going to get as good a rates. And again, being down there, going to those meetups, that, that was really um, eye-opening for me in terms of possibilities and, and the how-to, you know, which way should I go with this? Uh, I really did learn a lot uh, by going to those. So now in terms of what I'm building, so the first house that I'm building is in Northwest Cape Coral and the blueprints are... Um, in my possession right now, I have the contract for that. It's a four bed, two bath, about an 1880 square foot house with an outdoor kitchen and a full pool under a lanai, which is that screened in cage on the back. Um, it's got paving stones and a three car garage. So when you think about all that, it's actually pretty wild that I can get that for, you know, 365,000 plus the lot cost. So this is one of the things that was so attractive to me about Cape Coral and, and Florida in general is that the prices for what you get seem quite good. Uh, the lots are good size. They're about a quarter acre, um, typically 80 feet wide, 120 deep. And, um, you know, again, just better than what you can get here. Plus the weather's warm. So my goal with most likely the second one would be to, to turn that one into an Airbnb and, you know, kind of mix in a little bit of selling, um, and then also some burrs down there to acquire a portfolio of Airbnbs. And, uh, I would just set them up with, you know, pool, hot tub, and, uh, just try and deck them out, make them look really good on Airbnb, find a really good Airbnb manager and, and give people an experience. Now, whatever that takes, I've just seen so much of that. I know so many people doing that. Um, you know, I think creativity as an investor is really important, especially in a time like now where cash flow is kind of a unicorn with the conventional way of real estate investing. 
and it sort of is down there too like the rents aren't like fantastic uh for cash flow like i guess you can do like 0.7 percent instead of like one percent rule you can do 0.7 percent or 0.6 percent um not not blow your socks off and then when you combine the fact that canadians are going to pay higher interest rates it just doesn't work so this is why i looked at the building side of things because it it worked better it was actually an opportunity for me to to basically um, get into something where I could be in for no money with a 75% loan to value as as of a refi and then hopefully have, you know, a, a moderate cash flow. And then, of course, if I can do an Airbnb strategy and, and test the waters uh, and see just how much I can optimize that cash flow, uh, maybe I can turn it into a very viable business as well as as well as just an investment. So that's where my thought process is with that as to how am I going to monetize? How would I turn that into something that could really um, justify the U.S. giving me a visa? And those those are kind of some thoughts. And who knows? Maybe I shouldn't even be telling you this, but uh, <laughs> this is the uh, the initial thought. And then we're we're obviously going to uh, tweak that. And um, I'm always listening to the lawyer I'm working with and and what he says. Um, you know, he he did want me to have more than that. He said maybe you could open a property management company or a uh, real estate brokerage as well. He's like, if you want to make it really like slam dunk, make sure that you're going to get approved. He's like, I can't guarantee you will with what I'm proposing, which is basically a model of of flipping and buying lots, building them. Uh, flipping them for sale um the feedback i got from him was that they don't really like debt they don't really like real estate investors uh because most real estate investors you know they're just going to buy a few properties and let somebody manage them he's the i guess the feedback i've got is that that does not justify living in the u.s and the whole point of a visa is you need to be able to justify living there that's that's the feedback i've got so anyways that pretty much wraps up what I wanted to cover in the Florida conversation. If you have specific questions on that, put them in the comments. Go find the YouTube video for this. Put them in the comments. I will review that. That's the absolute best way uh, to ask me a question is to, to post it there. Okay, so on to part two which is the trailer park discussion. So I'm not going to give the exact location on this because we don't quite own it yet, uh, although it is a firm deal. Um, so the location of this property is in Ontario and it's in a very uh, nice tourist attraction type of area, but it's not Muskoka. Um, basically, what we've got is a, a site with 40 some odd uh, between 40 and 50 serviced sites um, for trailers. And it also has a bunch of campsites and um, a lot of land. So we're, we're talking, you know, 50 plus acres of land here that uh, could be used for a lot of different things. There's a lot of naturalized area with trees. And uh, the idea I had here was uh, number one with the uncertain times, which I'm going to speak a little bit more about uh, and the price of land and just the price of real estate in general. I want to own a lot of land. Um, I want to own land that can be farmed, land that can be you know, used for business purposes. So zoning is definitely a consideration because uh, you don't want to get hassled for uh, for doing things that maybe maybe uh, the city officials don't don't want you doing or the zoning doesn't prescribe to allow for. So um, I've wanted to own some land and I wanted to do it in a way that was profitable. And when this trailer park campground idea was brought to me by a friend of mine, um, it really resonated with me. I've been watching Airbnb cottages like my mother-in-law has up in the Owen Sound and Oliphant uh, Sable Beach area. And uh, just seeing how well that those can perform. Like I've, I've heard her say, you know, doing, doing weekend numbers of $800 a night, potentially $1,000 a night on uh, a cottage in you know just across the road from the water that really made me think like if you could do those kind of numbers throughout a summer on one property 
what could you do if you were to turn you know several trailer sites into kind of really nice tiny home experiences so my head kind of kind of got uh turning into the conversation of what if we were to do uh, really unique experience type trailers and glamping so that was a kind of a new term that i came across which is basically just like a camping experience uh, so this site actually has a pond in the middle of it and it's got walk-on campsites as well. And the thought is that we uh, actually would would install uh, semi-permanent tents on decks and put beds in them and uh, it would basically be camping light so people who want to get that outdoors experience they want to go camping but they don't want to go full camping where you're rolling up sleeping bags and air mattresses and getting the morning uh, dew on you or you know getting wet from the the ground below because your tents on the on the wet ground Uh, kind of eliminating some of those things and uh, potentially even charging 150, 200. I, I've even heard of people charging $500 a night for glamping sites. Now, I'm not saying we would get anywhere near that, but with a property like this in my head, creativity allows it. Creativity could potentially open the door for that. Um, and then when you add in acreage and commercial zoning, it's like we're already running a business. So the new question is, how can I take what we have and get more out of it? And um, I see this, what we found as being a site that's that's certainly, you know, doing just fine as it is. It would not do just fine based on the price we're paying for it, but it it absolutely works as a regular trailer park for the price that the guy who owns it before us, um, you know, paid. However, now we're going to have to find new ways of optimizing that. And um, what we've structured so far from a financing end, it looks like we're going to have 100% financing on this, which I was not anticipating. I thought I was going to have to put in a couple hundred um, grand potentially. Uh, so that's a nice relief because, again, you know, the name of the game is is other people's money. Uh, you can't keep growing. Eventually, your own money will run out. Um, so, uh, you know, as a matter of good practice, I think it's just important that we we keep moving forward that way. And uh, that is my my intent to keep moving forward that way. So with the higher financing, it you know it, it is a bit of a double-edged sword because it means that we do need to achieve some gross profit numbers. Um, you know, there's gonna we're gonna need to make a few hundred thousand dollars in operating income to cover our loan obligations. But whether or not we break even isn't so important to me because at the end of the day, if we can show good uh, one good year of operational statements and we can now go back and get a new appraisal and go back to a, an A bank or a credit union and start looking for 55%, maybe 60% loan to value on the new value of that property, you know, that went from a hundred thousand dollars, you know, or call it even like sixty, seventy thousand dollars in operating income to say three hundred thousand dollars. Now, these these are just sample numbers. Uh, where that actually comes out, you know, who knows? But if you think about it, if we're applying a cap rate, and you know, we say buy it for one price, the the price at the other end should be significantly higher if we're if we're more than tripling the operating income. So uh, the name of the game really is whether or not it covers our debt service is to increase that operating income because at the end of the day an, an appraiser is going to apply a cap rate to that property and that so a cap rate capitalization rate for those who are unfamiliar they're going to take our operating income and divide it by say ten and a half percent as a cap rate, which is an absolutely ridiculously high cap rate. I have seen appraisers use that, but that's not what people are paying. If we put this property onto the market, uh, people would not be expecting to get it at a ten and a half cap. They'd be, you know, in the six six uh, percent range, probably um, potentially even lower, five percent. Um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's definitely not unheard of because people are having to look beyond cap rate, just like they do in multifamily buildings and like Hamilton and stuff. They're not even really talking about cap rates anymore. Now we're talking about price per door. We're 300 or $350,000 a door. So, so things have obviously changed in that regard, but just kind of giving you my take the way I'm thinking about this. And I apologize if I'm, uh, if I'm rambling here, I just want to give you kind of my thought process with what I'm doing and what I'm hoping for. So, uh, with the with the campground uh, trailer park, it really is a net worth play um, for me. I, I really do see it as something where what was paid, you know, the value of this property could quadruple in a couple of years. And and uh, then you add in the inflation element. Uh, I just think that there's so many ways to win. I talk a lot on this podcast about cash flow, and of course, cash flow is absolutely critical. Um, you know, a certain amount of faith is needed here in the concepts and what I've seen elsewhere. And, and that's why I really like that there are a few partners on this deal, um, because it allows us to synthesize our ideas. We've got a lot of people with Airbnb experience. Um, we've got people with, with significant um, multifamily experience, financing, construction, of course, in, my, in myself here. So um, this is one of those examples of when that JV can be very advantageous. I know uh, we've had mixed reviews, you know, have Kellen on this show, you know, talking about never doing a JV and then we'll have the opposite of, you know, a, a scenario like this where creativity really can exponentially uh, increase income. And that's really the thought here. So, like I said, goal for the first year is really just to maximize income. So part of the process will be talking to the existing seasonal tenants and seeing how many of those, um, our, our intent on, on leaving, um, we haven't completely finalized what's going to happen there. Um, but, uh, the goal would be more to move towards, um, weekly rentals or, or, you know, daily, nightly, uh, rentals for the trailer sites. And then of course, camping sites as usual, create more as we can and, uh, and really just optimize the space that's there. Uh, so a little bit of elbow grease on this project, I think is going to go a long way and I'm super pumped about it. So I, th- I think it's just a really good way for, um, for me to build net worth and for all of us involved in this project to build net worth. So, um, it's funny, funny how things have changed, right? Like ever since the first lockdown started, people really seem to focus their attention less on going overseas and cottage country was really reinvigorated trailers and, you know, camping were invigorated golfing. Um, you know, a lot of the outdoor stuff right here at home, uh, became hot again. And I don't think that's just going to go away, um, regardless of how open things do become. A couple other things I wanted to mention, uh, just with campgrounds is when you're dealing with just land and there aren't really a lot of physical assets, um, be prepared to get lower loan to values. I already said, you know, 50, 55, 60% is kind of where our expectation is going to be from an institutional lending standpoint. It doesn't mean for privates we can't get more. It just means that when it comes to uh, going to the bank, you know, what are they really lending on? They're lending on land. Uh, they are sort of buying a business, but um, I'm keeping my expectations low. And then, of course, if we can get pleasantly surprised down the road, um, great. But this is where I get, you know, really excited because I do believe it's possible to quadruple, as I said, the value of this property relatively quickly um, just by what we do and, and what kind of um, income we can build up in that first year. Uh, two years is better. Typically, banks want to see two years. But if we can show a strong first year, I think that we're going to have some take a good look at us. And if we knew, if we do need to, you know, do a two-stage refinance, then that's what we'll do. 
Um, another thing we're gonna we're gonna do with this project is uh, go for a minor variance for the zoning and um, just try and improve the use and give us more opportunity to operate it year round. I think that you know if, again with trying to think how can I optimize income? What can I do? What can I? How can I be creative and uh, and improve my income? And one of the things that comes to mind is operate it year round. Uh, you know, snowshoeing, skiing. Um, winter activities really start just marketing those. Uh, someone who really gave me that thought was, um, Kyle Ford and, and, uh, Chelsea Middleton. When they were on this podcast, they shared so many cool ideas and really just got me thinking, you know, take something that somebody else is already doing and just find a way to optimize it. So, um, thanks to Chelsea and Kyle for that one. Um, you definitely got me thinking and, uh, we're going to pursue that one as we go forward. Okay. That wraps it up for my discussion on the trailer park and what we're doing. Um, Again, key, key takeaways, you know, if, if you're looking to, to get into that kind of site, these are, these are my thoughts. Uh, it was really important to me that it was close to a lot of attractions or actually on a lake. Um, those things were, were really important to me. Uh, scenic views right nearby. Um, so in our case, this, this property is between a lot of really uh, cool attractions. Um, you know, I, I see an opportunity to, you know, advertise stays. So, you know, do AdWords for, for hotel stays. Um, you know, people who would originally look to stay in a hotel, maybe they'd be open to doing a, uh, glamping site, or maybe they'd be open to renting a, a really nice, you know, trailer if we throw some airstreams on that. And that stuff will all happen as cash flow builds up and the company will buy, you know, buy trailers, renovate them, put them on sites and, um, you know, just continue to optimize and optimize more money, um, out of that project. So that's kind of, um, the thought with that. So as I mentioned, yes, make sure you got, you know, quality location, um, you know, views need to be solid and, and accessibility needs to be solid. And then, you know, management's going to be a big thing here. So of course we're going to have to make sure we build a, a really good team around this site. So, um, okay. So on to some overall thoughts for, for what's happening right now. Anyone who's been following me kind of knows where my stance is on things. Um, I think we live in a very unprecedented time right now. Um, some of you may be aware that I, I'm about to have my first child. Uh, so I've got a boy on the way in, uh, December and, that's really given me some, some perspective. And I, I was taking some, some classes. My wife and I have been taking some classes. And one of the things the lady said was that, you know, when the baby's inside, they, they don't know that outside even exists. And I think that we can take so much of that from the situation we're in right now. Um, this time is so unprecedented that we really don't know what the world could look like outside of this in another five years because never before have we seen the entire world uh, engulfed in some sort of authoritarian sort of takeover where individual freedoms are being taken away across the developed world. That's that's never really happened. We, we, we've had world wars, but they were still centralized on one on one point. So it, it's a very odd time uh, to see that happening all at once. And then also to see, you know, really supply and production compromised across the world and, and then money printing and, and just really, really, um, silly, uh, socialist policies being implemented everywhere. And it's something that I don't think the world can ever go back to quote unquote normal from. I, re- I really don't like the conversation about new normal. I, I don't, I don't believe in that, uh, you know, from the, the globalist perspective as it's kind of shared. I think that people in this time have really seen how 
asinine government is and how what they do doesn't add up. It doesn't even pass the basic coherency test. Uh, there's no reason, logic being followed. It's just arbitrary decisions. And um, what I took, because when, when we were away in Florida for the three and a half months, I, I, I spoke with people who were very optimistic before we left. And then it was like when we came back, they were like different people. Um, they had been worn down. In my mind, that's where we are now. Uh, people are very complacent with the situation, regardless of whether they agree or disagree with how things are being handled. My, my opinion of it is, if you go th- all throughout history, every time government gets big, bad things happen. Government is the one that created the problem. So if you think about minimum wage, if you think about the, uh, the housing crisis that we're having right now, that was government created. Governments are immigrating people to this country. Governments are printing money and governments are shutting down supply chains. All three of those things cause prices to rise and cause the $15 an hour that, you know, minimum wage is almost. I think it's a joke that we say inflation is like three, four or 5%. If they're admitting to that, it's, you know, it's reasonably like five times that. I think we're closer, you know, if you factor in real estate costs, because that's housing cost of living uh, for the average people of Canada, you know, we're closer to 30% inflation rate. So unless you're getting 30% raises, you're getting, uh, you know, 20, 26% pay cuts every year. Uh, how long can that go on? Right. That's why I say this is such an unprecedented time. So anyone who works a job, you're in a position where you are going to be driven into the ground unless you do something about it. And uh, this is why I mean, so many people want to say, wow, the government, you know, they mean, well, they just, they, they don't know any better. They just, they're doing the best they can. And this is what they come up with. I'm sorry, bullshit. They know this stuff doesn't work. They, uh, they just know how, what they're going to tell people. And most people are, you know, what are you going to do? Right. You're one voice. We all are right. We do have power, but I, I understand why people, you know, say, Hey, well, what can I do? You know, what, what is it that I can really say that's going to make a difference? You know, he, here's where, what I'll boil it down to you know for anyone who's on the fence they oh well maybe the government does uh you know mean well for us i'm going to tell you why you can't trust them and i'll tell you in a question when in history has the side that's been pushing for censorship who has been segregating a population sending out hate narratives from stage and acting with coercion to force people to comply or else ever when has a leader uh you know a governing body who's done those things ever been on the right side of history read through your history books my friends you will never find an example of that so i do understand none of us want to admit that things aren't great right now however i think being objective is important and we're entrepreneurs people who listen to this podcast were entrepreneurs we did question things that's why we don't work jobs and expect canada pension to save us at the end of the day we've we've realized that we didn't learn what we needed in school and we needed to go further bigger better and smarter this is why I've been quite surprised at the amount of silence around this stuff and why I've kind of beat it like a dead horse. And I do apologize. You know, sometimes it seems to me like if I were to speak about anything else, I wouldn't be being sincere to myself. And I, I do apologize. I'm not trying to be one dimensional. Um, so what I wanted to do with this episode is really get into, you know, some solutions and, uh, and what I think we can do to prepare you know, if, if something's really great, like, I mean, if you, if you have like a, a product, like Apple doesn't get to censor Microsoft. The reason Apple is, you know, was considered the better computer for so, so long was because they actually were better than Microsoft. So it was okay to evaluate what Apple was good at, what they weren't good at, what, what PC was good at and what they weren't good at. And just have the people naturally conclude that yes, for most everyday computing purposes, Apple is actually better, although it's more expensive. And, 
people could be objective about the pros and the cons and choose. We're not in a age of choosing. We're in a, an age of mandates. And uh, I often say this on, on Instagram, like I feel like we're in the upside, upside down from stranger things. I take no pleasure in saying that. It's just, I know there are people out there who they think that things are absurd right now and they're wondering if they're the only ones. You're not the only one. A lot of people do think it. And I know not a lot of people are willing to say this stuff. I apologize if you didn't want to hear this stuff, but I got to stay true to me, not looking to offend anybody, but I do need to speak my, my truth and, and say what's on my mind here. So what, what do we have to do? Well, I think that you know, I look at Venezuela right now, people barter. I mean, they went from being the wealthiest South American country in the world to one of the poorest. People can't eat. Um, you know, they're starving. They were, they were a very oil, oil rich country. And, and now they're a socialist, very poverty stricken country. And yes, maybe things will change, but I mean, they've gone back to their roots. They've gone back to the roots before there was currency. There was barter and people barter. You know, I have rice. Can you trade me fish? Uh, you know, I, I can, I have wool, you know, what can you give me? What type of things will always be valued is the thing I like to think about. And so land is a big one, right? Cause if I have land, I can grow. I can grow food. Food can be used for barter one day if it ever came to that. I mean, and with the printing of money right now, I do expect a currency collapse. I don't know how soon, but every fiat currency collapses throughout history. It always happens. Don't believe me? Watch The Hidden Secrets of Money by Mike Maloney on YouTube. You can learn all about the history of fiat money, uh, fiat currency, which is not actually money. Um, it all has the same fate. So we are headed towards a currency crash and it's just a question of when, but when you print money the way that they're printing and then incentivize people to stay home with less people producing goods and services, prices can only go up and with living wages still restricted, we put ourselves into a very risky type of uh, scenario, which obviously none of us want. So getting land, I think is big, get property with extra land. If you can move out to the country and get a few acres on top of it, that's great. Real estate investing is a game of, of mitigating what we don't know. And since we don't know what, what's going to happen, the best thing to do in my mind is to mitigate our downsides. You know, you hear about these supply chain crises. Are we going to have challenges getting in food? Well, if so, I want to have a stockpile. I want to have um, extra storage. Maybe I never need it. Of course, I'm going to buy stuff that I want to eat anyway. So it's no big deal if I just have extra. And, you know, if anything, it's almost an investment as long as it doesn't spoil. Um, and it gives me an opportunity to hedge against price increases on those goods going forward. I think that this is just a lesson to go back to our roots. I mean, back in the day when people homesteaded, you know, they all had their self-defense. They had their their rifles for uh, for hunting and, and bows and what have you. They could farm their land, grow food. They could make their own clothes. I mean, my mom's mom, she made all her own clothes. They used to have an outhouse in their backyard. Like they lived very simple. Uh, my grandparents were in World War II in Holland. My grandpa was in a Nazi work camp against his will. He was slave labor. And he was abandoned in that work camp and the work camp actually was uh, set to blow up and he just escaped. So I kind of know like from my, my mom's lineage, what it was like to live a lot more simple and to not have the advantages that we've had for so long here as Canadians. So uh, do I know where stuff's going? No, I do not. And I don't claim to. It's really just a matter of being prepared. I don't want to go too deep into that, but I would just say, you know, now's the time to, to get more independent when you don't like what your quote unquote leaders are doing. It's time to act and it's time to be prepared prepared because uh, it's quite clear that uh, mommy and daddy government are not going to be the solution when they've been nothing but the problem up to this point. With all that said and all that out of the way, um, just on the topic of contacting me, I would highly recommend that if you want to get in touch with me, YouTube 
comments are a good way right now. And why is that? Because I only ever really get a handful of them. And when I go to respond to YouTube comments, there I'll see you. So if you want to start, you can start there. Um, the other option is Instagram. You can send me a private message, but the, I get a lot of uh, people reaching out to me and I can't necessarily always respond to all of them. So if you want to reach out to me, do me a favor, just keep it short and sweet to start. Uh, send me a quick message. If you're, you know, if you have a proposition for me, include that in the message just say hey Andrew I wanted to see if you'd be interested in this you know do you mind if I shoot you the details or something like that uh, let me know what it is and and then I'll certainly let you know if you know you're an investor and, and you have some investments that you want to put to work and and you're looking to speak with me then let me know that in the comment and we can arrange something and I can potentially arrange to speak with you directly. So please know, I, I do want to get back to absolutely everyone. I, I do my best. If you have sent me a message, maybe let me know in a, in a YouTube comment that you have, or maybe even start the process there. And, and I might tell you, send me a message and that might be a good way to do that. So thank you very much for everyone who listened to this. As you know, I don't do a lot of monologues. This would be number two, aside from the presentations that I've included here, but those weren't really monologues per se. Uh, this is just off the cuff, me sharing my thoughts and trying to be as real with you as possible, which I think is what a lot of people appreciate this podcast for. Really appreciate you. Get out there and take action. Invest, but invest smart. Invest in things that are going to hold their value. Invest in, in things that are going to be uh, considered useful in the future. Investing in your own homestead. You know, these are types of things that I think are great. Investing in essential living. Apartment buildings that are in a very affordable price point. I think these are, are things that while there's nothing perfect, they're going to be more likely to be successful in the future. And quick disclaimer, as always, I am not recommending or advising anything. Always consult your investment advisor before you take action on anything you hear on this podcast or from anyone else for that matter. All real estate investments uh, present an inherent amount of risk and we are in the game of mitigating that risk. So thanks again. Really appreciate you. Thanks for sticking with me and I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. I'll see you on the next one. Uh -huh.